25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Well, it's about that time. Hour number two of this Tuesday show, Off and Running. It has, for all intents and purposes, begun. Now, having said that, let the record show. There is no such phrase in the English language as, as this, for all intensive purposes. Some people say that. They've heard over their course of their lives, they've heard other people say for all intents and purposes, and they what they thought they were hearing was for all intensive purposes. No, that ain't it. It's not it. It's not the saying. And while we're on the subject, it makes no sense to say to somebody when you're trying to tell them that you don't care, it makes no sense for you to say, I could care less. Because according to the English language, by saying, I could care less, you are saying you must care to a certain degree in order for you to be able to care less. So what you should say, that makes sense, again, according to the English language, you should say, I couldn't care less. Meaning, you couldn't care less than you currently do. I care zero, and there's no such thing as less than zero. So the next time you say to someone, I could care less, you are effectively saying that you care. Does any of that make any sense, Roger, at all? Absolutely. And don't don't say you can be rest assured. <laughs> Please don't. No. Pick pick one. <laughs> it's you can rest assured. Yeah. Rest assured. Or you can be assured. Yes. But you can't be rest assured. What are you saying? There's too many words in there. <laughs> Tell her one of those guys that you've been in prison for a few years. All he's got to read is his dictionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't bother learning the actual definitions of the word. Right. That's right. Next time somebody looks at you and says, I could care less. You just say, to them, yeah, don't hit them like Foghorn hit the dog over the head with a frying pan, but just tell him, yeah, shut up. Feel free to do that. <laughs> Welcome into the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team. At Farm Bureau, your local Farm Bureau insurance agents. You need to give them an opportunity if you haven't already. Uh, you can be a part of the show here today by texting 885-ESPN. That's a 601 number. 885-ESPN, or you could be a part of the show by calling the Divinity Equipment phone line, 
at 601-995-1059. 995-1059. Coming up in just a minute or two, we're going to talk with Chris Doring of ESPN and the SEC Network, the former Florida Gator. Uh, the SEC Network released week four SEC power rankings, if you like that kind of thing. And they have Chris's Florida Gators at number five, behind Auburn at number four, LSU at number three, Georgia at number two, and Alabama at number one. I'll give you the other teams on the list later. Uh, right now, though, Divinity Equipment phone, Bernard is hanging on. What's up, Bernard? Hey, good afternoon. I'm going to tell you what my coach, my college coach told me. He said, I care but less. <laughs> I care but less. <laughs> so yes. he wanted you to know that he cared, but only just a little. Well, honestly, truth to him, he didn't care probably. <laughs> he was just getting it wrong? Okay. He just got it wrong. I got you. <laughs> I care but less. I've never, I've heard, never that heard that before. I care but less. <laughs> That's totally messed up. If you say if you're trying to tell someone you don't care, you're supposed to say I couldn't care less. And frankly, you might right now be saying to your radio, Roger, Lamb, I'm calling for that. Roger, hold on, we hear you, man. <laughs> Listen to that Roger's name. Roger's microphone's on. He doesn't know it. <laughs> oh, Roger. Sorry, I got my microphone on. It's okay. <laughs> I just get so tickled because you've got about fifty-five thousand buttons in front of you, and they all have a specific purpose. And I, and I hit the wrong one every time. Well, but how could you remember? What are the odds of that? Let's just say this, Roger. You are actually, you're overqualified to do this radio show, but you're underqualified to like fly an airplane. <laughs> right? All right. Hang on. Let me get Chris on the live for you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, those SEC college football power rankings, according to the SEC network, ESPN power oh. rankings. One through five, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, Florida, and then six through ten, number six, A&M, number seven, Kentucky, number eight, Missouri, number nine, Mississippi State, number ten, South Carolina, and then 11 through 14 in the SEC, number 11, Ole Miss, number 12, Arkansas, number 13, Tennessee, and number 14, Vanderbilt. Now, power rankings are... What are they? Who decides? I think it's interesting to just see it and see them shuffle, you know, week to week. And I, I could, but but I couldn't help but think about head-to-head matchups, right? Like if you had num- Georgia at number two, LSU at number three. Well, what if those two played each other right now? How would you feel about that game? You have Mississippi State at number nine. You have South Carolina at number ten. What if those two played each other right now? How would you feel about that game? I like to look at it in those terms and. Maybe we'll kick it around a little bit now with um, Chris Doring. Y'all can follow him on Twitter at Chris Doring. He is a former Florida Gator All-American receiver, played in the NFL, and now an analyst for ESPN and the SEC Network. And you see him in the studios uh, on SEC Football Weekends with Coach uh, Gene Chizik. He's on your radio right now. Chris Doring, welcome to the show. Chris, hope your Tuesday's Brad. going well. You You don't ever get tired of talking football, do you? No, man, this is the thing we live for, right? All year long we're talking about it. Now we actually have real on-the-field things that we can debate and recap and look forward to. So this is a fun time of year for guys like me and you. Yeah, it is. Did you have some input on this uh, uh, SEC power rankings that the SEC Network put out there on Twitter today? (laughs) 
Well, here's the thing, man. I put my own out on Sundays, and it's funny listening to you say, you know, what exactly is a power ranking? As you you said that, I start thinking, yeah, I don't even know what it is. I put one out every week, and I'm not sure the criteria. Here's the criteria that I hold it to, uh, a little behind the scenes. After our Saturday, Saturdays in the studio are long for us. Uh, Coach Chizik and I are in there at noon, and we leave. uh, We're we're off the air probably about 1230 to 1 o'clock at night. Mm. You know, we usually go somewhere try to decompress, maybe have a, a beer or two. And then all of us, on-air talent and the, the folks behind the scenes, we kind of just get together and compare notes from the day. And we actually we rank these uh, on our phones, and then we debate them and talk them over uh, a couple pops, you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it is true. It's like, all right, what, what are we, what's the criteria here? Is it, is it that we're looking at, um, you know, the year-to-date record and who teams have beaten? Or is it if we thought they were going to play one another? who would win, and I think there's a little bit of both. Dari and I actually got into a, a little bit of an argument the other night because he felt he had Florida down around, I want to say, 7th or 8th behind Missouri. I was like, bro, Missouri lost to Wyoming a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Now we're, we're going to forgive them for that. And so I, I do think it's a little bit of, obviously, opinion-based, and until these teams square off, we, we won't really know, but uh, it creates a lot of good talking points for guys like me and you. Yeah, it really does. And, and I like it because it forces me to think about if teams played each other. And and what I do is I get caught up every week and like I only have time to think about the games that are actually coming up. And so this was fun, Chris, and I'd like to kind of ask your thinking because I did the same thing. When I saw what the SEC Network put on their Twitter account, they had Georgia number two, LSU number three. But the first thing I did is go, all right, if those two teams played each other right now, I actually think in my gut, I'd be pretty confident LSU's going to win that game. And then I look at your yeah. rankings, and you know you agree with Alabama one, but you've got them flip flop. You actually have LSU at two and Georgia at three, so you you must feel the same way. Yeah, I I, I do. Um, you know, I think in my thinking, I believe you know that, that going to Texas, going to Austin, winning that game that 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 creates a little value. I, okay. I, I think as long as for for Georgia. You know, that's one of the things three weeks in, uh, we probably have talked the least about the Bulldogs and, and know the least about who they really are because right. they haven't been tested to this point in time. And, and quite frankly, they've flown under the radar a little bit. That's ironic to say when we're talking about the number three team in the country. But um, there are some questions that I have at this point about them. I, I believe in their offensive line. I know the run game's really good. But, you know, do the, do the 12 sacks that they have so far this season – how legitimate are those? I mean, I saw my alma mater have 15 sacks in the first two games, and they go out and basically get shut out against a very good Kentucky offensive line on Saturday night. They got one, but that was when Jonathan Grenard was left completely unblocked. They didn't do much against that. So how good is, are those 12 sacks that uh, Georgia's gotten to this point in time? You know, what, what are the, the, the receivers that are stepping up, Blaylock and, and, and uh, Pickens, how good are those guys? They haven't gone against SEC-type talent yet, so they're putting up some numbers and look pretty good to us as of now, but really, how legitimate are those things? So I think there's some legitimate questions about Georgia, even you know, basically being a month into the season so far. Yeah, Chris Doring on your radio right now. Y'all follow him on Twitter. Go check out his rankings. He put them out on Sunday, Power Rankings for the SEC, on his Twitter feed. It's at Chris Doring. And then you can compare that to what the SEC Network put out this week. So um, everybody's high on Kentucky and should be. Have them at number eight, one spot ahead of Mississippi State on your list, Chris. What are you seeing from Kentucky that impresses you? Yeah, I think the thing that I like about Kentucky are are the lines of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And I made the comment yesterday on our show 
that this was – I know Kentucky's not into moral victories. You heard multiple players talk about, hey, you know, that, that game was not good for us on Saturday night just because we came close. That, that, that's not something that this program measures by these days. Uh, moral victories is a thing of the past for Kentucky. Uh, but I, I take a couple things from it. The offensive and defensive lines are legitimate. Uh, they, that, that's one of the most important things, as you would agree with me, I, I bet. Mm-hmm. In this conference, if you're going to be competitive, you've got to be big, strong, physical, athletic up front. And uh, after talking to a few of the offensive linemen from Florida, um, that's exactly what they went up against. Uh, uh, not that Florida's been able to run the football very well in any of their two previous games, but uh, really had a hard time moving those guys because of just how, how big and strong they were up front. Um, and then offensively, man, that offensive line, I think when it's all said and done, people are going to put Kentucky uh, amongst maybe the, the two or three best offensive lines in this conference. I, I know that I'm not as qualified to talk about O-lines as maybe Cole Kublik is, but you know, I know he's high on those guys as well. And just watching them negate um, what had been a pretty good pass rush for Florida on Saturday night leads me to believe even further that, that that's one of the best lines in this conference. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just they're, they're big, they're veteran, they're physical. On that note, they're about to go into Starkville. State just played Kansas State, who was big and veteran and physical on their offensive and defensive lines. And for a couple or three quarters in that game, State kind of got pushed around. As you kind of – I was going to ask you what you think about State, but as you talk about that, kind of how do you see Saturday going in Starkville between State and Kentucky? Yeah, that, that's one of the things that was most surprising to me. And, Matt, I know you probably can speak to this even for, further and more in depth. But, you know, after watching Mississippi State go to uh, Manhattan last year and just physically dominate on both lines of scrimmage, uh, be able to, to run for the, what, 240 yards plus or whatever it was they ran. Uh, no, shoot, more than that. I think yeah. Kylan Hill himself had about that many. But it, whatever it was, it was a, it was a large output. and They dominated uh, on the offensive line and then defensively, you know, we know that defensive line is not the same as it was last year in Starkville, but to see K-State have the success running the football uh, the way that they did, it was surprising that there was such a turnaround um, from last year to this year in the way that the game played out on the line of scrimmage. With that being said, you know, I thought I saw a much more uh, intent focus on running the football in the third quarter. If you go back and watch Mississippi State, I mean, they held the ball for over 11 and a half minutes Kansas State only ran eight offensive plays in that quarter, and the majority of you know what, where the production was coming from was being able to run the football a little bit more. So uh, I, I was a little confused as to why uh, it didn't happen sooner in that game because I think that's something that this Mississippi State team uh, has to be able to do, especially in circumstances where where uh, you know, Stevens was not having his best day to that point in the game. So. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a great challenge against Kentucky. Uh, I think when when it's all said and done this season that Kentucky's going to be a much better team than, than maybe the media thought they were going to be in the preseason. We may not know all the names that they have on, on uh, particularly the defensive side of the ball, but you're starting to see some of those guys step up. Josh Pascal, uh, maybe a great story about coming back from his battle with cancer last year, but he's actually a really good productive player on that side of the ball. Uh, DeAndre Squares stepping up next to Cash Daniel at the linebacker position. Uh, Wright, the uh, number 15, the outside linebacker that filled the holes for, for where Josh Allen was last year. So there, there's some players that I think we're going to know a little bit better after the season's over that we may not know here at this point in September. Chris Doring on your radio right now. Y'all follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Chris Doring. If you're watching the stream, it's right over my shoulder right there, so take a screenshot and go go look him up. Chris, 
State had a couple of key drops in their game last week. One that is a drop in the middle of the field gets tipped up for an interception to a safety. Another is a drop in the fourth quarter that would have been a conversion, but they drop it. So two key drops, really the first time all year they've had drops by wide receivers. You played the position. Why do some, I guess, units from time to time seem to get a drop thing or theme or or bug in the room going why does that happen because we assume that if they're at this level they can catch a football why do you yeah. think that happens you know I, I don't know exactly i mean you know for me that was the one thing that always came easy to me catching the football uh and catching the football is not just hands it's more so eyes i, I teach younger kids all the time about looking the ball in and, and being focused on that first and foremost uh, I think a lot of times guys are more interested in trying to uh, get a field to make yards after the catch, which are important, assuming you, you actually catch the football. Um, you know, uh, the Gidry interception, or the, the one that bounced off Gidry's hands that was intercepted, was over the middle, and it takes a certain you know type of, of receiver to be able to be consistent in that type of traffic. Um, the game may have changed a little bit with the way it's officiated and some of the hits you take over the middle, maybe not as great as they used to be, but it's still uh, an intimidating thing for a human being to to be able to focus on the football while you, you feel those footsteps around you. Um, it, I feel a little guilty, too, Matt. As, as you know, I, I've been critical of those receivers in the past, in the offseason. I caught a lot of heat from Mississippi State fans. And after watching them in the first couple games, I felt, all right, well, maybe they are coming along. Maybe these stories are, 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 are true about their improvement. And, and I actually talked on Friday night on the show on SCC uh, Now about uh, the impact that, that Coach Johnson has had on them and, and coming in there and creating a relationship with them and holding them a little more accountable and, and, and those guys getting in the books a little bit more. Um, I'm not ready to, to bail on them yet, but um, it was a little disappointing to see them take a step back after uh, hearing all the stories in camp about their improvement and seeing it in the first two games of the season. Uh, Chris, appreciate your time. I've got one more thing I wanted to just ask you. When you watched South Carolina versus Alabama, and obviously – Bama much better. They pull away. But South Carolina at times are pretty doggone competitive in that game and made some plays and got some stops. Were you impressed with them? Did you think you were going to see that from South Carolina in that game? I was impressed with them for a couple reasons. First off, I had a chance to go down to Columbia um, a couple weeks before the season and watch, I think, their final scrimmage. Uh, I saw Ryan Holinsky at that point in time and said, wow, this guy – Seems like for a freshman has a great understanding of, of the offense, where to go with the football, makes quick decisions, gets the ball out of his hand, which I think is something that obviously is important in the style of offenses that are being utilized in college football today. Um, you know, secondly, I was even more so surprised that they had so much success against, um, against Alabama mm. after watching that second half of the North Carolina game. I mean, really, if you go back and watch the tape, there was there was a lot a lot of people wanted to blame Jake Bentley, but there were mistakes being made all around Jake Bentley. You know, offensive line busts on protection, uh, receivers dropping passes, um, different things that contributed to the overall struggles. Um, but they seem to have overcome that uh, against Charleston Southern in the second game of the year, and that kind of carried on. You know, I look at Halinski uh, as a guy similar to, to Bentley, who is a natural kind of leader, brings great energy to the team. Um, is always trying to get everybody around him up. And, and so I do think that um, this offense is is better than maybe what they showed in that first game of the season against the Tar Heels. But to do it against Alabama's defense, that's another thing. I thought the game plan was really good. 
Uh, they utilized a bunch of quick passes early, kind of negated some of the pass rush that Alabama is typically known for. But um, I think, you know, it says a lot about South Carolina. I think it actually might say a lot about Alabama, where they are, too. We talked a lot on our show this morning about the prospects of them having four freshmen playing in their front seven. Um, this is going to be one of the biggest challenges that Nick Saban has had with his defense, and the fact that, that South Carolina rolled up close to 500 yards of total offense, uh, I think even further illustrates that point. No doubt about it. It's going to be an interesting, uh, maybe a different kind of run to the finish than we've seen in recent years, and I look forward to it. Hey, Chris, thanks so much, man. I really do appreciate it on a Tuesday, and uh, good to talk to you, and we'll be watching this weekend as usual. Thank you. Matt, any time, man. We appreciate you coming on the show all the time as you do, and I'm happy to repay the favor anytime you need me, man. Great. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. All right, that's Chris Doring. Y'all follow him on Twitter, at Chris Doring. It's D-O-E-R-I-N-G. So give him a follow. does a really nice job. And you can see that list. I was talking about the SEC Network uh, power rankings that popped out there on Twitter earlier today. Had Alabama 1, Georgia 2, LSU 3. Chris had Alabama 1, LSU 2, Georgia 3. And I think he's right. You know, you get credit for beating Texas and Austin and putting up all the points on offense and look good. And we don't know a whole lot about Georgia right now. We don't feel like we do. And Chris has Mississippi State at 9, Ole Miss at 11. The network had State at 9, also Ole Miss at 11. Kentucky ahead of both. How about that? I know this song, Roger. Y'all stick around. That's just a little bit more than the noble line. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. Wouldn't change if they could. Fighting the system like a two modern day Robin Hood. Back on the show, what do y'all want to talk about? Huh? Let her rip, Tater Chip. You tell me. There's lots of different things we can talk about. You can text the show at 885-ESPN or 885-3776. You could call me at 995 995- 1059. That is the 601 number. 995-1059. Or you may choose to tweet me at Radio Wyatt. Any of those are fine. We'll communicate however you'd like. Unnamed Texture says, Did you notice the difference in the New York Giants coach Pat Shermer? Never saw him say a word on the sideline prior to Sunday's game in Dallas. He even looked different. Unshaven, wild-eyed, angry outburst. Toward the officials all game long, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Ownership must have told him coaching includes on Sundays. I didn't notice that. I didn't pay much attention when they were playing in there. And I didn't see their game this past week. Who'd they lose to this past week? Buffalo? That's who it was. Lost to Buffalo. I didn't see any of that one. They were. We were talking earlier about Charles Moore from Louisville High School, signed with Auburn last year, and now he's left Auburn. He's going to Jones College, Jones County Junior College. 
Somebody texted me, Matt texted me and said he should have gone to Colin. With a graphic here, it says, the Wolves of Colin cracked the top 10. Colin is up to number eight in the latest NJCAA poll. And they're going to face number three Northwest. Is that this week? Woo! Matt, this may be dumb question time. So when a player has eligibility and they're in a D, at a D1 school yeah. and they do this move where they go to the junior Cut. college and they yeah. play there, are they using up eligibility mm. there? They are, yep. Okay. Right. Yeah, if they go there and play there. So why would they try to go to a place like Jackson State where they might get on TV or something? I guess they will there too. But Well, because it is considered D1, okay, and according to the rules, Roger. It is. Okay. If you go, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's Division 1AA, FCS. And so I think the rules are if you go, if you transfer laterally or up, you have to sit out a year. Ah, uh, okay. So the advantage is you get to play immediately. Yeah, that's right. Um, a while ago when I was talking about what you should say, don't say that you could care less. You need to say you couldn't care less, which means you don't care. Jonathan said on the text line, Matt Wyatt out there giving grammar lessons like he didn't grow up in nowhere, Alabama. That's all over Alabama, Jonathan, not nowhere. We got, we got books everywhere. Yeah, I did. We we lived in a lot of different places. And just to address something real quick, somebody called in during the break, asked Roger about the Five Pounds of Possum song that I played. On the show a couple times, you know, five pounds of possum from the Tennessee Mafia Jug Band. Yeah, so see, the premise of the song is his family was hungry and his dog needed a bone, and on the way home there just happened to be five pounds of possum in his headlight, and now he's just got to hit him. The great line in that song is, I think it's about time to go from dim to bright. (laughs) Anyway, it's the Tennessee Mafia Jug Band. They also had that noted hit, Rabbit in a Log. Well, there is a rabbit in the log and ain't got no dog. How will I get him my nose? How mm. get me a briar twisting his hair? That's how I get him my nose. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the Tennessee Mafia Jug Band. They're a comedy group, but they're pretty good musicians, in fact. Five pound of possum, if you think about it. Not a real big possum. Yeah. Yeah. Switching it up uh, totally. Did y'all hear about Jackson State winning this weekend? If you listened to yesterday's show, you would have heard it here because we wished a happy first win as a head coach to Coach John Hendrick. They won on the road at Tennessee State. Did I get it right? And the game was played in Nashville, I believe. And the best thing about it was one of the opposing players tried to mess up the drum majors for the sonic boom as they were marching onto the sideline before the game, and there were cameras following them, and he jumped in front and made one of the drum majors have to kind of do a little half step and 
to their credit, Sonic Boom, they didn't even check up. This guy acted a fool on the other team. Come on, frat boy, you want to go? <laughs> and then Jackson State then proceeded to put it on them. I'm sorry, not Nashville. It was in Memphis. So tip of the cap, Coach John Hendrick. First win as a head coach. Well, they exploded for like 21 points or something in the first quarter. They sure did. Had to hold on at the end. A high-scoring game, both teams in the 40s. Bad um, Juju messing with the sonic boom. Say what now? Bad Juju. Hey, don't mess with them, man. That's, you, you don't want the bad – you don't want the sonic boom curse on you. I promise you. <laughs> curse of the boom. <laughs> right now on the Divinity Equipment phone line, Arthur listening to the show. What's up, Arthur? Hey, how you doing, Matt? Just right. All right, I'm on, I'm an everyday listener to you. I like your show. Thank you. I appreciate your opinion. I, yeah, good. Always, I appreciate your opinion. What, what do you think this win means to Jason? I know the fan base is groaning and and is riding, waiting to for Jackson State to return to his greatness within this swag um, conference at least. What yeah. do you What do you think this does for? Well, I mean. That that old saying, Arthur, that winning cures everything, and I hate to kind of go big umbrella coach speak to begin, you know, in the conversation, but it's true. Like everything is better. The food in the press box tastes better when you're winning. the uh, The coaches shows have more people there. You know, I mean, there are more people tailgating. Fans get to the stadium earlier when you're winning, and so it's just. In all ways, it's just better. Okay, so what does it do? It gives, I think, your team with a first-year head coach, a a quarterback who transferred in, all that stuff, a chance to just kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, listen, we're fine. We're going to be okay. Because, honestly, if you hadn't, you know, if you lose that game, especially if you had, you know, didn't hang on in the fourth quarter the way you did and you lose that, then there's a whole lot of finger pointing and questions coming out of that. And so I just think it, it, I think what it did is it settles everybody down for a minute. You get that first win in the win column. It's away from home. Um, you know, in a high scoring game, you did a lot of good things on both sides of the ball. And and now you're going to play a team that you can beat again. You get it back to two and two again. It's, it's going to make everybody feel better. And then, it's all. It always is, and it always has been about going out and recruiting players. And I just think for at this level for Coach Hendrick, it's just about getting players in there and stacking that roster. You got to get one or two of those special players um, that kind of transform your program and and set it back where it was. It's going to be hard to do. I mean, because the conference is it is competitive. It's good, but I think that. Um, it's huge. That first win sometimes seems like it's the hardest one to get. And I'm just, that's why I keep saying, you know, tip of the cap, get that first one. Cause a lot of coaches say, man, you just, sometimes it feels like you're never going to get that first one. I remember hearing uh, Troy Aikman talk about when he was the rookie quarterback there for the Cowboys. People remember they just got their brains beat out for about a year and a half. And he said, Am I ever going to have that first game? And then once they got it, Everybody took a deep breath, and they were okay after that. Arthur, I appreciate your call, and I thank you for listening, okay? All right, every day. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. Jackson State's off this week, 
And uh, then they play on the 28th against Kentucky State in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Stick around. Back on the show. I'm not doing any California dreaming. California love. Hey, California love. Yeah. Sorry. You got to respect your Tupac, man. My bad. Well, it's Tupac. <laughs> or is it Tupac? Yeah, for the record. For the record, it's Tupac. Okay. Uh, you see where um, Mike Leach, the head coach at Washington State, yesterday in his press conference, he's, they got him teed up on something about the California law about players getting money for their oh. name and likeness and everything. And he said, yeah, I don't know. He goes, like, they need to – he said, no, the state of California is having a hard time keeping their streets clean. He said, I think they need to worry about that before they start getting involved in college athletics. Yeah, gonna, why don't we pay them to go out there and shovel some of that? <laughs> well, you can't pay me enough to do that. Yeah, what a job. Whew. You're not kidding. It'd be a rough job. Rough so plague in California, we'll see. My gosh, I hope not. You know, anything that like pops up like that major on the coast, it always makes its way inland. Yeah, as they flee. Right. No pun intended. That's how the plague is spread. Um. So he made that comment. Steve Young, Steve Young, the former 49ers QB, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winner, threw passes. After Joe Montana did it, he threw a lot of passes to Jerry Rice. The GOAT, Jerry Rice. Steve Young is one of the analysts on, oh, don't quote me on this. Is is he on the CBS crew or is he on the ESPN Monday night crew? Heck, I don't know which one. He, but anyway, he's on one of those where he, he doesn't do the in-game analysis, but he does like pregame and halftime stuff. And it was about these Dolphins players that requested trades, and now the Dolphins are burning the whole thing down. Last night, they traded Minka Fitzpatrick, their former number one pick, just a few years ago, safety out of Alabama. They traded him last night to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Earlier, they traded their best offensive lineman, Laramie Tunsil, to the Texans. They did this like little three-team switcheroo trade thing. Or was it three or two? I don't know. Anyway, it just kind of gets confusing. So they're kind of burning it down there in Miami. They're awful. Historically bad in terms of the first two weeks, what they've given up on defense, all this stuff. So they've got players mumbling saying, hey, trade me. And you got Jalen Ramsey, the corner in Jacksonville. After this second game, they lost to the Texans. He said yesterday, trade me. I want to be traded. That's what Steve Young said. He said it's it's starting to become like uh, the NBA. And I think at this point, it seems like they're capitulating to it. They didn't put on a hard line. There's no one going to be traded. They're going to have to. They're going to have to come together as a, as a league and say we're not going to do this because it'll be insane. Every every guy that's on a bad team's like, get me out of here. Give me the Patriots. Give me the Chiefs. So what do you think about that? Yeah, Antonio Brown, crazy like a fox. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Where did he start out at? Where was he last year? He started out with Pittsburgh. So then he goes to was it Oakland? Why am yeah. I thinking that? Okay. And so now he ends up on the the best team in the country. Yeah. 
all because he was doing the wrong thing. Right. And this I just want people to get so mad. It is. Well, and listen, I, a lot of people didn't hear that, I think, because I didn't have the volume up enough. Let me let me hit it again. I want to make sure you can hear what Steve Young said. I'm going to hit it again and turn the volume up this time. And I think at this point, it seems like they're capitulating to it. They didn't put out a hard line. There's no one going to be traded. They're going to have to they're going to have to come together as a, as a league and say, we're not going to do this because it'll be insane. Every guy, every guy that's on a bad team's like, get me out of here. Give me the Patriots. Give me the Chiefs. So, yeah, what do you think? That I just want to make sure you hear it. You were able to hear it. Um, he said, everybody that's on a bad team is going to be like, trade me. And Why not? Yeah. Don't blame them. If it's happening, put me in. I don't want to miss out. Well, and when we were talking about the Eli Manning stuff earlier in the show, some people brought up the idea that they think Eli Manning has no trade clauses in his contract, right? So that's um, leverage for a player. When you get the no trade clause, leverage for the player in that the team can't just trade you away to anybody without your consent and approval and all that kind of stuff, right? So it just gives some more power to the player. No trade clause. That's what that is. And doesn't everybody have that clause? It seems like it'd be a standard deal. Yeah. Or is that is that a, a sought after item in the negotiation? Yeah. Well, I mean, these teams, as because it's a professional sport, and both sides negotiate on these contracts to begin with you'll start to see little things slipping into the language of their contracts that like a little bit here and a little bit there that'll start to make it punishable if you publicly ask for a trade. <laughs> I'm telling you that's what'll happen and it'll be a contractual thing. You'll forfeit money and bonuses and stuff if you go out here and you publicly say something about being traded. Because you're hurting the the team right that's it and the fan base and get them in an uproar and all it takes is a little bit of that for the entire fan base to think that you've got some kind of mutiny going on in the locker room when it may not be the case you may just have a handful of guys that are like i don't like it here i want to be traded which has probably always been the case it just wasn't out in the open in public you know what i'm saying are these guys gonna play for you though if they don't want to be there man ask the dolphins holy cow it doesn't look like it I don't know the exact. There ought to be stat. some consequence for that. Like if you don't perform, it you well, realize your stats. You know, yeah. You, I, mean, I, mean, I guess they, they if you get if it gets bad enough, you're just kind of stuck. I guess the team's bad enough they can't score. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's ugly. It's ugly in Miami. And guess who the guess who the Dolphins get to go face on the road this week? The Dallas Cowboys. That game will be over by halftime, which is not that, really saying a whole lot. have another one of those days where he well, breaks all the records on one single day. Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not because, again, he probably doesn't play past, past halftime in this one. Oh. I mean, it'll be that lopsided. Um. Let me get to the text line. i got a few things here with just a few minutes left with you on this Tuesday. Is Clemson too talented to lose a game, even with Lawrence struggling early in the season? Yeah, because they don't play anybody. They don't have – Clemson – listen to this, y'all. Clemson does not have 
a single team remaining on its regular season schedule that is ranked. Alabama has like four of them. Georgia has like four or five of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Clemson doesn't. It's cruise time for Clemson. You know, and Dabo Swinney, he's throwing, he's lobbing shots. Y'all see that shot that Dabo Swinney took this morning? The quote from Dabo that popped out there on Twitter, Twitter this morning was, uh, somebody asked him about the Citadel beating Georgia Tech last weekend. And he said, yeah, he said the Citadel was like the toughest team on Alabama's schedule before they played Georgia last year. He said <laughs> the Citadel beat South Carolina. Uh, so, see, he turned it around on the SEC. I mean, forget the fact that Alabama played Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Auburn, and LSU on their schedule last year before facing Georgia. Yet, he's going to say the Citadel was about the best team Alabama played before they <laughs> – old Dabo, he'll stir them up, won't he? That is an insecure comment right there because he knows good and well the Citadel might be the best team on their schedule if they played them. Fluffy says, in Southern California bars, that Tupac song has the same effect as Rocky Top. Does it? <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. Here's another text in favor of Eli Manning on the text line, 885-ESPN. Usually it's how you play in the fourth quarter. This is unnamed texture. It's how you play in the fourth quarter that determines the outcome in the NFL. Many just melt down when money time arrives. Can't emphasize enough the greatness of the fourth quarter touchdown pass record that Eli set in 2011. It was a season record. Russell Wilson did break it with 17 TD passes in 2017 in the fourth quarter. This is why Eli is great. Just ask Tom Brady about Eli in the fourth quarter in the biggest game of the season. And then Tim on the text line said, Eli's going nowhere. He wouldn't miss this train wreck for nothing. Well, but see, I don't get that. Or has he got an axe to grind with his own team? I mean, he's been good to the Giants. They've been good to him. They've paid him just a ton of money. So he may be. He may be in a position where it's hard to imagine it. I mean, at that level of professional sports, your competitiveness is really out of control or you're not there anyway. And even though guys like Eli hide it really well internally, they are more competitive than anybody you've ever met. Just about. And the idea for him to just, oh, okay, I'll go. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'll just go over here to the bench. and You go ahead, Daniel. If you need something, I'll talk to you. I'm going to coach you up, man. That's hard for me to imagine that. Maybe he does it. But it's kind of hard to imagine that being the scenario. It's probably more like, hey, congratulations, your time. I'll help you any way I can. I'll support you. But if you can't get it done, get out of the way. I'll get back in there. So I don't know. I just know that today you're starting to pull the shade on this whole thing. Eli, Big Ben, Drew, Rivers will be next. And then we're on to the next generation for sure, for good. All right. See you all tomorrow. See ya. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.